Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So we are continuing this worship series on Christian conversations. And today is a very important reminder of just how life and world-changing conversations between Christians can be. And here we have the opportunity to see how an important decision in the early Christian church was made and how the conversations went that led up to a paradigm shift for Gentile Christians. Since most of us in Christianity don't count ourselves as descendants from Jews in genealogy, but rather as spiritual descendants from them, it's really important that we appreciate what has been done for us in this passage. The Acts, the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, as its full name is known, catalogs what happened in the life of the early church after Jesus ascended into heaven. And at this point in chapter 15, where I just read for you, we are beyond Pentecost. We are beyond the replacement of the lost apostle after Judas commits suicide. And so they have added to their ranks, and not only have they returned the apostles to the number 12, but they have also gathered others from Judaism to become Christians, those who have converted to their understanding of the messianic prophecy fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the church has grown, and already not only is there leadership from the apostles, but the elders, those who are probably oldest in genealogy, as well as those who have been part of this endeavor the longest. And so they have an important voice. And what we discover is that about halfway through the book of Acts, a problem arises. And that is that other Christians are telling these newer Christians who are coming, who are coming to Christ through the Gentile path are being told they have to become Jewish first. That's what it means when it said that there were those that were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Now, there's a reason that most people in, in their uh, adult years didn't want to be circumcised. Very few people want to undergo that without the kind of anesthesia that you could have nowadays. And so that in itself was a barrier. But more importantly, circumcision was an outward and visible sign that you were now under the covenant of Mount Sinai. That's the covenant that takes place after the people experience exodus from Egypt. They are brought out from bondage and slavery there, and they come to Mount Sinai, and there in the presence of God, the congregation of the Israelites gathers, and they commit to God, and God commits God's self to them, and they agree to follow God's laws, commandments, and ordinances, and that's a hefty yoke. Because in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, there are 613 laws, as I shared with the children in children's time. 613 laws to not just memorize and know, but uphold and keep. That's an incredible burden. And as Peter points out, our ancestors couldn't even keep them very well. And we struggle to keep them ourselves. Why would we do that to someone else? And that's what's really at stake here. Do we, do we require that the path to Christ includes the journey of Judaism? 
And that's the question that they're struggling with. And this isn't a question that's going to just simply go away. But Paul, in his epistles to other churches throughout his ministry, will continue to have to deal with what they call Judaizing Christians. People who say, you can't be Christian unless you're Jewish. And they're basing this partly on the tradition that Jesus was a Jew, and that the very first apostles were Jewish, and that many of the first Christians were Jewish. But after a while, it becomes quite apparent that God is doing a new thing in the Gentiles. And so what ends up happening is that those that are ministering out in the reaches of the Roman Empire and those that are experiencing a lot of conversion and acceptance of Jesus Christ and his grace from the Gentile population are meeting up with these Judaizing Christians and now there's conflict and the people want a definitive answer. Do we have to be Jews first or is our path to Christ as straight as we thought it was? And Paul and Barnabas are chosen to go all the way down to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the elders and get the answer. And they do. And on their journey, they again experience Gentiles that are converting to Christianity. And they proclaim to other Christians that are already Christian just what's going on with the Gentile population. And people are excited. And that fuels their passion for having this question answered. And when they finally get to Jerusalem, it is the time to discern the answer. And they come to Jerusalem to the church and they meet there with these same apostles that Jesus gathered in his midst in his earthly ministry. And they start to ask the question, do we have to be circumcised and live as Jews in order to follow our Lord Jesus Christ? And what happens is that very quickly, the apostles and the elders kind of withdraw and go into a private session. And this is very consistent in the life of Christianity, very Often in churches and all along denominational lines, we'll have boards and councils and committees and teams and groups that will gather and make decisions for the life of the church and for the missions and the ministries that each church is participating in or hopes to fulfill. And so they gather together. And what's really interesting here is that they debate it for a while, and then suddenly Peter speaks. Now, this is Peter, one of the first apostles. This is Peter who seems to be a devout a follower of Jesus and recognizes his messianic fulfillment of the prophecy, who also makes quite a few mistakes. But this is the one upon whom Jesus says, you are the rock that I build my church on. You are very important here and you will be a leader. So Peter gets up to speak and you can imagine that a hush would fall over the room when he does. And when he speaks, he does something very important for us to represent and acknowledge. He names his perspective. It's very powerful when Peter says to the room, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. He acknowledges before them quite openly and at the beginning his perspective. I'm speaking to you because this is part of my role in the body of Christ. I'm speaking to you because I have had a lot of encounters with Gentiles for this is my purpose. This is the evangelistic call that Christ has placed upon me. And so I'm not speaking to you simply to utter my opinion, but because I have experienced and I am deeply vested in the outcome. He goes on to say, as you and I said in the opening liturgy, God knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we in this room have. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and so have they. And because of that, there's no difference between them and us. It's not about what your religious background was before. It's about what God has done in us since we received the Holy Spirit. 
And he says very clearly, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of these new disciples a yoke that our ancestors in, in the Old Testament and we who are here now could never handle? We couldn't live by 613 rules. Why should we require this of the Gentiles? And he says very clearly, on the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. And so will they be. And now it says that they did something very important. They then returned to Paul and Barnabas and asked them about their experience, their journey, their context for asking the question. We don't make decisions in the church lightly. Our decisions need to be grounded in the, the story behind the question. What is it that they're asking and why? So that we can understand the gravitas of it. What will happen if we answer this question any which way? What will be the implications? And is this somebody simply asking a question for their own personal edification? Or is this going to change lives forever? Those are very important questions to know. And so Paul and Barnabas share their experience and convey, this is what has happened. We are seeing God working among the Gentiles. And now there are people that are threatening to undo that work. Because if you put the yoke of the law on these new Gentile believers, they're not going to want to continue. These are people that have been exposed to Judaism and had never chosen Judaism. Why would you make them become Jews now? You're going to set us back with them. They might get so frustrated and so overwhelmed that they will walk away. And then a new voice arises, one that we might not immediately recognize. At verse 13, it says, after they had finished speaking, James replied. Now, there are a lot of James. There are several who are apostles, but this is not one of them. This is a very particular James. This is the half-brother of Jesus. After the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph continued to have children, and this is the eldest of their children. This half-brother of Jesus, the eldest of the siblings of Jesus, has begun to take his rightful place in the leadership of the church. He will become the leader after Peter is martyred. And so his voice has incredible weight to it, because not only did he grow up being Jewish with Jesus and had known Jesus all of his life, but he had watched the earthly ministry of Jesus, and he was participating in the church now. And he takes a very interesting perspective. He starts to draw them back into the tradition. Right? A lot of them are waiting their decision based upon what was required of them. Well, we're Jewish. Why wouldn't they have to be Jewish? But he talks about the scriptures, and he quotes three very important prophets. The prophet Amos, Jeremiah and Isaiah. And it talks about in all of those prophetic books how God will come to the Gentiles and invite them into this new thing that God is building, rebuilding and setting up. And so therefore, the, the incorporation of the Gentiles is something that God proclaimed going all the way back to our Old Testament prophetic books, says James. And he says that because of these things that I read in our scriptures, because of that, I have reached a decision. We shouldn't trouble the Gentiles with becoming Jewish. Instead, we should give them three things that are very practical, helpful, and will guide their transformation into the body of Christ. And those three things are that they will abstain from those things that are polluted from being offered to idols, 
which means that when there were festivals or worship where an animal would be slaughtered and then prepared and given away as food, they would not do that since it was part of worship for other deities. They will abstain from fornication, sex outside of marriage, and they, from whatever has been strangled and from blood, so things that will have been killed the kosher way, which is a very healthy way given the circumstances of eating and of procuring food in those days. And so that's what he says. And he ends his speech by saying, I understand the fear. You worry that if they don't become Jews first, that that tradition will be lost and that our people will slowly slip away unappreciated and unknown. But remember that in every city for generations past, Moses has those who proclaim him, and he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. He won't be forgotten, but it's more important that Christ is encountered and experienced than we worry about our tradition. And for those of us who are the descendants of traditional worship, for those of us that grew up in it and it was second nature to us to come and gather and engage in traditional worship, this is often some of the things that we hear articulated in worship wars, the battle between contemporary and traditional worship, because we have such a love and an appreciation for these older ways, these traditional ways of worship, of organizing ourselves and gathering together as the body of Christ and proclaiming the centrality of Christ in our lives. And we worry that if we don't continue that and require it, that it will slip away and that people will lose it altogether. And this, that has blessed us, that has blessed our children, that has blessed our parents and our grandparents and generations and generations of Christians will suddenly be forsaken and lost. And James recognizes that and says, God is always rekindling, rebuilding, and bringing back that which is lost. You don't have to worry about that. That rests with God, and God has ways. Instead, let us focus on what is important. The question that is posed to us by these new Gentiles about what we will require of them. And at the conclusion of his speech and his addition to the conversation, they unanimously decide that they're going to follow the advice of Peter and of James. And not only are they going to give an answer to Paul and Barnabas, but they're going to send two of their own to journey back with them and convey it by word of mouth. And they're going to write a letter that can be read so that they have it for all time. So the next time people come to them and say, you have to become Jews, they can go, no, we don't. We have it in writing from Jerusalem, from the apostles, signed here, that we are doing the right thing, and they will have protection. And so all of this is done with the entire blessing of the apostles and the elders because they recognize that this is a moment where their decisions will forever change the world. One of the glorious things about confirmation in the United Methodist Church is that I don't have to raise Jews. I don't have to bar and bat mitzvah them. Instead, we can talk purely about the vows that their parents or their loved ones or their guardians have been holding in trust for them since the day of their baptism. We can talk about what it means to become a Christian in your own adult right rather than trying to start from the very beginning and get them to memorize much less the Ten Commandments and 613 of them. Instead, we focus on being a Christian and a good Methodist. And that is a liberating joy. And that's one of the beautiful things that the apostles gave to those Christians in the Gentile church back in Acts 15.
They decided to do something that is a struggle for every Christian, especially those of us in leadership positions, to choose to remove obstacles, to open the doors and to pull out barriers and to get rid of them so that they will not become obstructions to those people continuing to grow their faith, to nurture it, to make it grow deeper and stronger in Jesus Christ, but especially so that they don't get so weighed down in dogma and rules that they no longer flourish in grace. And that's a struggle for us. Every religion that I have ever studied has ways of trying to create places where people can experience liberty in order to grow in their faith. And in Hinduism especially, there's actually a God created to remove obstacles. He is known as the remover of obstacles, and his name is Ganesh. And he has an elephant head and a rather portly body. And you will find him at the entrance of almost every single temple that you enter in India or anywhere else in Hinduism. Because he is the one that is tasked in the pantheon of removing obstacles so that your time, your darshan with the gods, that your, your worship, your puja will be pure and you will not have anything get in your way. You won't be tied down with your to-do list later. You won't have to worry about your kids being a distraction. That he will remove all of those problems and you will have pure worship. In Christianity, we don't have a God for that. In Christianity, Christ appointed us that. Christ has called every one of us who are currently Christians to be removers of obstacles. This is precisely what Paul will talk about in one of his epistles when he says, I will not let myself, my practices, my words, and my choices become stumbling blocks. And he even addresses eating meat that's been offered to idols and festivals. If someone sees me eating that and thinks that I am worshiping that deity, then I won't eat it because I don't want to become a stumbling block for them. Instead, I will guide my words and my actions by a paradigm shift of choosing to get out of the way so that nothing becomes a barrier or an obstacle for people who are trying to experience Jesus Christ and walk in his light. It's an incredible task for us. But if every Christian conversation that was had by leadership and by those who are gathering in committees and boards and councils, if every conversation and every prayer were guided by those principles, we could undo a lot of the painful decisions and the edicts that we have made in the past in Christianity. We would be able to look at things as Peter and James did and recognize that perhaps what we really need to do here is not think about our wish list, our wants, and our desires, but instead, what is God calling us to be here and now? And what is it that God wants from us this day to help those who are first experiencing this, this kindling within, this yearning to hear and to experience Jesus Christ? If we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, not who we thought we were yesterday or what God was calling us to be yesterday or what God may want six months from now, but here and now, in this meeting, in this gathering, in this time, what is it that God wants us to be? And therefore, what must we do and decide that will help people come to Christ rather than become an obstacle to coming to Christ? And that's an incredibly difficult decision for us. We want to make the right decision. I don't believe that people who choose to step up and into positions in the church, want to do it because they are overtly malicious. I believe instead that sometimes 
we can become so focused and grounded in our wants and wills and dreams for the church that we don't see what is really at stake. The Acts of the Apostles records for us that the voices that need to guide us are the ones that are dealing with the issue, the ones that have the authority to speak and be selfless and Christ-centered. Those are the voices that we need to seek out, lift up, and empower as we prayerfully discern together what we need to do. Every church right now in the midst of this isolation and transition due to COVID-19 are having those kinds of conversations. And those are the voices and the struggles and the endeavors of every church across the globe. But we as individual Christians are a part of that as well. The decisions that we make about how we will speak to others, how we will engage with others, how we will conduct ourselves. Will we do no harm and do good? Or will we choose to do what we want and what we feel compelled to do? More often than not, the will of God and the way of Jesus Christ don't look like our personal wish list. And so it takes time and intention and a lot of prayer and discernment to figure out just what it is that God is asking us to be. Because in the days and months ahead, more and more from our communities, from within our church, from the populations that are blessed with our missions and our ministries, not just here at Crozet United Methodist Church or the global denomination of United Methodism, but all over the world, are going to turn to the body of Christ. And they are going to ask for answers and guidance and help. And if we don't choose to have conversations that reflect what is modeled for us in the book of Acts by Peter and James, Paul and Barnabas, then we will continue to see the numbers shrink as people feel overwhelmed, unreceived, and in some cases turn away. So everything is on the line when we talk about having conversations between Christians it's not easy, but it is vital. And our decisions can't be about bringing the past and foisting it on the next generation. It should be about celebrating our past, as James says. It should be about recognizing what got us here and looking with great anticipation to where God is going to take us next. Those 12 apostles had no idea when they first started following an itinerant mason from Galilee that the Gentiles would not just become part of their family of faith, but would become the greatest population in the church of Jesus Christ, of Christianity the world over. Those of us who are descended from Gentiles are grateful of this decision. And now it is upon us to make sure that we aren't putting unbearable yokes, impossible burdens, and huge obstacles in front of those who have just the slightest desire to hear more, to look again, and to engage with the grace of Jesus Christ. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.